gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Get your popcorn ready. It's game time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a team that is known as Stoppers. Stoppers. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Every single play, go take it. Bring that juice. Let's go get it. Come on. Chicago's best Bears coverage. Go Bears. Go Bears. From NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Bogue. I actually do think first impressions at the start of camp, when the pads come on, especially for rookies, can be very impactful. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. Of course, we all want to see the quarterbacks, but the depth chart is partially revealed. It always is in the training camp practices. Now, here they are. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns with you, inching closer and closer to the regular season. Usually I would say, like, finally, but it doesn't feel that way since training camp was about two weeks. Well, it feels that way because they kicked us out of Hallis Hall and they got the regular season protocols, you know. Ten minutes, I count, out of here. Football's coming. I now spend an hour going to Hallis Hall just for ten minutes of stretching, but that's fine. That's the NFL these days. Uh, Welcome in. We have a very special guest for you uh, on this episode of the podcast. We're really excited about this. Uh, He's our guy. Robert Mays is now a part of The Athletic, and he's on with us today because he loves the Bears, he hates Trubisky, and he wants to talk (laughs) about it. I think I'm being forced to talk about it. If I never have to talk about Mitchell Trubisky again, uh, my life would be pretty good. I saw Dan Orlovsky tweeted yesterday that he thinks that Mitch is going to be the starter in week one, and I just... I closed my window, I slowly shut my computer, and I just walked into a dark room. Just sat there for a little bit, really contemplated the nature of the universe. So this podcast may be uh, quite torturous for you as we explain to how he's looked against Nick Foles. I mean, it's it's no different camp. than the last five years of my <laughs> life. I mean, it's it's all the same at this point. I, so much of my soul has just rotted away that <laughs> it doesn't even hurt anymore. It's just I'm just drifting through life without any sort of meaning. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. My entire life is that meme of the room burning down. It's good. I'm trying to... I have this... Uh, here's here's how you know Robert Mays is a good podcaster because I have a vivid memory of listening to the podcast you did the, uh, the weekend the Bears lost to the Packers two years ago at Lambeau when they blew the lead. <laughs> and how just like vividly upset you were uh, about what happened in that game and Trubisky struggling in the fourth quarter. Even though it was actually there was actually a lot of good things that happened in that game, even though well, that lost. was the problem is that it was one of those moments where the highs were so high, and at halftime, I'm just sitting there on top of the world. I was like, "This is it! It's all coming together. The Matt Nagy experience is going to be incredible. They weren't wrong to draft Mitch. It's all going to work out. The defense is going to dominate. Khalil Mack is just an actual god that has somehow landed on Earth." And then the second half happened. I'm like, "You know what? Nothing has changed. Everything sucks." The Aaron Rodgers comeback game. Yeah. It, I remember him walking out. Every time somebody tries to throw dirt on Aaron Rodgers, I have to remind them of why I never will. And it's just because I have a decade and a half of having my heart <laughs> torn out of my chest at the least opportune moments. If you lived through the Chris Conti, Aaron Rodgers to Randall Cobb throw in week 17, there is no possible way that you are ever going to shut the door on Aaron Rodgers. I've been burned too many times. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great example, right? There's a video. I think it went. It must have gone viral a while ago, and I just saw it this week because my Wisconsin friends sent it to me, and they're all Packer fans. But there's like a video of a kid watching that game. Do you know what I'm talking about? So there's a kid who like filmed himself watching that game, and to your point, Robert, the highs, and he's like, he's so excited. He's like, there's no way Aaron Rodgers can come back this time. There's no way. It's not going to happen. And then it ends, of course, with Randall Cobb again? Again. Of course it's Randall Cobb. Of course. And it's just the pain of, I guess, what Bears fans have gone through. Um, Well, we're really excited to have Robert Mays here with us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Robert Mays. He is the host of the Athletics Football Show podcast, uh, which has debuted he is. Uh, his life has been taken over by doing division by division previews on the podcast. It's really good. I, I I started listening to the NFC North breakdown you did with Nate Tice, and uh, just a lot of really good insights. So 
first of all, you should you should tell us about the new show. So we're going to be coming to you three times a week. I'm going to be coming to you three times a week. The show is four times overall. Me and Nate are going to be doing every Monday. We're going to Sunday night records, break down all the action from Sunday night. You know, Nate played at Wisconsin. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. He is a fantastic football mind. He was uh, in the front office and the coaching staff in Atlanta and with Oakland. He just sees the league very well. He understands X's and O's way more than I do. I hope you guys can learn something from him, people that listen. Wednesdays will be me with a guest, a rotating guest. Just will hit on a topic that's a little bit removed from the schedule. And then Ted Wynn, uh, the Athletics Foam guy, is going to come on each week. We're going to have a team writer on each week. Adam, I assume you will come on and make me very sad at some point during the season. And... On or Thursdays, very happy, or very uh, happy. Or, I will see. That's, I'm going to say that that's less. That's I'm less <laughs> optimistic about that. And then Thursday, Lindsey Jones and I are going to be previewing the weekend. You know, just kind of getting into what matters most, what questions we want answered. So, you know, different shows, but hopefully they'll have the same feel to all of them. I, you know, I'm very very excited. I think that the first couple have been so fun. It's great to be back talking about football and really just getting into the weeds. So. I hope you guys have a good time. I hope you learned something. And yeah, please check it out. I'd really appreciate it. Well, we're excited to have you, you know, be part of this growing athletic team. And it's good to talk Bears with you always. We've done podcasts, I feel like going back a couple of years now, going back to the WGN studios. Remember the, the fantasy drafts? Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Had, yeah, that was yeah, a fun not, day. Not fantasy drafts, but uh, mock drafts on draft night. But you are a Chicagoan. Um, you have questions, concerns, I, I'm sure, about your Bears, Nick Foles. What do you see ahead for your, your favorite football team? I really don't know, and I think that's one of the scariest parts of all of this. Is I don't, I'm curious what you guys think, just taking the temperature of what the quarterback battle looks like right now. Who do you think is in the lead? How do you think it shakes out? I mean, beyond who starts week one, who starts the majority of the games is the biggest question to me. By week four, who's the starting quarterback? And if it's Mitchell Trubisky and he looks anything like he's looked over the last two years, I don't know how you can talk yourself into having any hope for what the 2020 Bear season can look like. We've been having fun with this this meter that we've been doing. I know. I've it, seen the meter. Yeah. I'm, I am aware of the meter. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's catching on. But the funny thing is, so... You know, my approach to these practices and really games, I have a grading system I use and, you know, I just use it to kind of trust my own thoughts and where I go with things. So I've been using that with the practice practices we've been able to watch. It's hard, though, because we don't have the film to go back and watch. Yeah. You know, there, there's a there could be a toss up and I can't go back and watch it three times and see it from the end zone angle and really know what 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 kind of pressure there was or anything like that. And, and frankly, there isn't pressure because it's still practice and you can't hit a quarterback. And I think we all know with Mitch Trubisky, that's where things start to go bad when uh, there's pressure and he has to deal with it. So I don't even know how the Bears, quite frankly, are factoring that in when they can't really simulate this without the preseason games. But where I'm going is right now, after the practices we've been able to see, and there's three this week that we're just locked out, we can't see. So that may end up tilting the scale a little bit. I had Foles slightly ahead of Trubisky and how they've performed overall. However, I thought Trubisky finished strong at Soldier Field the other day, and I keep going back to how I've thought about this all offseason. I think Mitch starts week one. I think that's what's happening. So here's the thing, and I, I the performance on the field and what the actual on-field results have been, they clearly should matter, but it can't be the only factor in this. There are human beings making these decisions. Human beings have biases, they have motivations, they have self-preservation in mind, and that's always been my question with this entire situation. What agendas are at play for who's going to start a quarterback? Organizationally, Nick Foles was a half measure, and he was a half measure on purpose. You're not going out to get a Cam Newton because you don't want to just give the job to someone else. So I'm just curious if there is a, an agenda and a motivation and reasoning in the building to want to have Mitch still win this job, how much that's going to play into and factor into the decision. Because if they're even slightly even and that exists, then I probably agree with you, Adam. I, I just think that Trubisky gets the job because they have a reason to want him to win it because it makes them look better. I feel like the way I've started to, to, to view this is that, yeah, some of those biases exist and, you, and they need to see this through with Trubisky. And I think some of that 
involves him getting some regular season play. Because, again, he's always been a good practice player. In the regular season last year, he practiced well, didn't translate the games. That's that's the problem, right? The lights are on. Mr. Trubisky's off. That's the problem. But I, 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 I can't escape the, the feeling. Maybe it's everything that they've said since day one about Nick Foles, just how drawn this coaching staff seems to, to be to him. This is Matt Nagy. This is Bill Lazor. This is John Filippo. To the point where John Filippo actually said, like, you're, you're trying to combat your own biases of because of those experiences. And I feel like, like my, my sense is, is they wanted Foles to win this, but he's not given them the proof on the field that he should win this. And that's what's opened the door for Trubisky to possibly be your week one starter, if that all makes sense to you. It makes total sense to me. And that's my problem when this ent- with this entire approach, is that by going out and getting somebody that is merely competition, you can kind of keep your thumb on the scale and still want Mitch to win the job. And unless the guy's head and shoulders above him, you can talk yourself into Trubisky again. And that's the last thing that I wanted. The last thing that I wanted is for them to say, well, we did something. You know, we addressed it to some degree and we did enough. It's not as if we just let it ride with Mitch again. But by going halfway, you're almost, it's like mutually assured self destruction. And I just hate that so much. It just felt like in order to squeeze the most they possibly could out of this defensive roster and out of this team as currently constructed, they had to do something drastic to fix the quarterback position. And in my opinion, they didn't do something drastic enough. I think that part of the issue is, you know, I honestly wonder, okay, maybe if you got out and got Tom Brady, he could have uh, figured out this offense and been able to go out there and execute week one. But really, that's... Without the off-season program, I don't know that even like Teddy Bridgewater would be in here right now feeling great about starting the season in a brand new offense, a new system, all that. Um, I think wasn't even, that the argument for Foles? Isn't that why they went to get Foles because he knew the offense? Well, right. I think that's. I think. I guess that's why I get, I'm sort of defending the move they made. But he's not going to win the job anyway. But I think part of it is that. You got you look at Nick Foles' career and he's they know he can come in at any point and run the offense. I think they still want to know if Mitch Trubisky can. And I think oh. I, you I think understand they, how just just blatantly misguided that thought process is. Why? Just because if we know the other guy's gonna come in eventually, let's start the other guy at the beginning. It's, well, it's it, I'm not. This is not uh, an indictment of you, by the way. I I completely understand how this is your read on their situation, and it makes sense that they'd be thinking this way. I just think it's the wrong way to consider the quarterback position. It's the most important decision you can make, and to be waffling at this point, just make a decision. Well, I think the play has has led to waffling. Um, I I think the Bears did have interest in, in Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think. I think the money carried him elsewhere. Yeah, to, to to Carolina. Um, I think even him becoming the, a starter for the first time since, gosh, five years ago in in, in Minnesota, there was some concern there. I, I felt like the the most serious angst that I got from from readers, listeners, and what have you here in Chicago was the Cam Newton. Um, the, the I just don't think the Bears had serious interest. I I, I really don't. Um, maybe it's it's them not thinking Cam Newton's as good as some outsiders think he is. I mean, like, you look at his stats, there's certain things to like, and, and if he can't be a runner because you don't know if he's going to be healthy, then do you really need to pursue him at this point? Of course, everything always turns up Patriots, and he's looking good there, but um, I really don't think the Bears had serious interest in, in a Cam Newton, and it starts with his injuries. Maybe it starts with what they want to run offensively, and that's what brought them to Nick Foles. Like, I'm just going back to... To Ryan Pace, what he said on this podcast, what Matt Nagy said um, from the start, they were just drawn to the the Foles connections in, in this offense, and, and that's there's there's flaws in that, right? Like it, it deserves to be criticized because Nick Foles has not distinguished himself against a Mitch Trubisky like like they hoped they would, like they hoped he would at this point. But yeah, looking back at it, I believe Nick Foles just became their guy and. There should be some disappointment outside and especially inside that this Nick Foles experience hasn't yielded better results on the field. 
here's my concern about this. They went with Nick Foles for the exact reasons that you just said. He was the safe pick. They thought he'd be able to hit the ground running. Okay? That's fine. But he hasn't been able to hit the ground running. It hasn't been this smooth transition. He hasn't taken the job away. So by choosing Nick Foles, you're inherently limiting your ceiling because he's not that exciting of a quarterback. He's very middle of the road. And your floor is much lower than you thought it would be. So you have a lower floor and a lower ceiling by choosing this guy. And you had to pay him on the deal that he was on and give up a fourth round pick for him. If you had gone with a Jameis Winston or a uh, Cam Newton or even a Andy Dalton, the floor in, the floor ceiling situation is probably similar with Dalton, but you don't have to give up a fourth round pick and give him the $20 million guaranteed. It just seems like what they thought they were getting paying for the certainty and the baseline level of competence in Nick Foles, they didn't even get that. So the premium they paid for a quarterback they thought would be able to just be a fit hasn't even been a fit. It's just been a misread on this situation in so many different ways. And I get how we got here, but it's just really disheartening that it's unfolded the way that it has. Yeah, and I I, I get that angst over it. I, I do. Um, I think it's... I do think it's important to look at Nick Foles' history and when he's had his successes, it's been in situations where he's in this scheme. Um, and I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that like, when he went back to Philadelphia and had all that success, he was operating with a lot of the same players he had been with before. Like There was some built-in chemistry there. Um, I have a big deep dive on Nick Foles actually up today on NBCSportsChicago.com if people want to look into that. And then tomorrow I'm going to have one on Trubisky to kind of look at it both both ways. Um, but look, regardless of how we got here, Robert, I think I'm going to take one more stab at the logic of starting Trubisky right now in week one. Because, I'm excited. I know, okay. Because I think, look, I think we hoped, I think the Bears hoped that this competition, there would be a clear winner. And the reality is, there's not. There, unless those guys are seeing stuff on film that we just really cannot see from the, from the sideline at House Hall, one quarterback has not stood out over the other. And so I think with what you just said about limiting the ceiling of the offense, that they hope that whatever Trubisky did, the challenges they gave him in the offseason to become a master of coverages, uh, he went off on his own and tried to fix his mechanics, which was something that Dan Orlovsky talked about in that uh, video that you were you mentioned earlier. Um, I think they have they sort of owe it if this is close, if it's really 50 50, they sort of owe it to see if Trubisky is better. There's probably a lot of evidence and logic to think he won't be, but he is playing the Lions in week one, a team he's had success against. He gets the Giants in week two. Not a great pass rush. I do understand the logic of saying, hey, let's at least see if we can get this offense to a higher ceiling if Mitch has gotten better. And if not, Nick Foles is right there, ready to go. He knows this offense. Yeah, the ceiling will be lower, but I think overall as the, with the offense, it should be able to operate. I think that's the thinking. It makes sense. I, I, I know I'm being crabby right now and I'm being combative, but that's just <laughs> the nature of things. I, that makes total sense. And because I think the best outcome for this, for the Bears long term, is if Mitchell Trubisky ends up working out. I have written that off on a football yeah. level and an emotional level. I have written that off. So I've moved on to contingency plans. But in a vacuum, if we're everything else on the table, every single possible timeline is still on the table, that is still the best one for the Bears franchise. So if the competition has been close, I can understand where they would want to see that through. I can. I almost, this is where I stand on the competition. I, I almost, the construction of it, I'm starting to believe has led to the closeness of it, right? There was only, okay. we, we've only seen one practice one open practice where like these quarterbacks were allowed to get into a rhythm within one drill a lot of it has been very scripted uh adam and i had issue with the 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 entirely scripted scrimmage that they had at, at soldier field like every play was scripted it just felt well, I'm sure it increases the, the difficulty for these guys. It, it's it's like you have to reset your brain for every single play. Like you have a 20-yard completion and you're coming back for a second and four. Like it's just you have to reset your brain. Yeah. And, and like they're it not just playing felt, football. Yeah, they're not playing football. And it just felt like I, I almost wonder that if the, the rotating of every three snaps 
Heck, Robert, one day we saw him rotate after every one snap, in and out, in and out. And I get that that increases pressure. It, it, it maybe increases the degree of difficulty for that play. But I also think it's resulted in this, where we don't have one quarterback who has distinguished himself from the other. Like the, the constant rotations of not only the snaps that they're taking, but the players. Like, how am I supposed to evaluate you know, a Nick Foles touchdown pass to Riley Ridley when he's their fourth receiver and he's beating Kendall Vildor, who may be playing with the starters, but he's a fifth-round pick rookie who's probably not going to start a game this regular season. Like, how am I supposed to evaluate that? Like, what's the grade? What's the internal grade on that when there's so many other variables in that, right? Like, wh- wh- why can't we have Allen Robinson versus Kyle Fuller? I-, I just feel like how this has played out, the construction of it, the the incessant rotations, the the lack of rhythmic drills um, has led to what this is where you have concerns and questions about who the better quarterback is at the heart of this at at the heart of my pessimism at the heart of just the the tone I'm taking with this entire thing and you guys would certainly know based on the amount of time you spend around this franchise can you ever remember in an NFL setting where the phrase no quarterback has separated himself a week before the season has turned out well. What true quarterback competition has ever ended in a positive way for the team in question? Because every time you have teams rotating off or whatever, the most common situation is you draft a guy high, you go through the motions of pretending the guy that is the incumbent is going to play, and then three games into the season, you switch it. We saw it happen with Glennon and Trubisky. It's happened with every first-round quarterback of the last 10 years. But true quarterback competitions, where we know that one guy isn't going to take over as soon as the time is ready, it never works. It never, ever works because you can't move forward with any cohesive direction as a franchise. And I understand that they're in a unique spot and this may have been the best possible outcome and they couldn't go get a true number one guy. This, they've done the best they can. But in my opinion, the best they can has very few positive iterations no matter how you try to spin it. I think that's totally fair, especially in the NFL. Like if we're talking college football and you're – starter graduated and you're just trying to find who the next guy is and you have a legitimate competition then maybe one of those guys takes off and becomes you know a superstar because it's college football and guys are younger but in the NFL I I think that's totally fair if you don't have a clear-cut starter really going into the offseason or exiting one season um, you're usually in trouble you know unless you're fortunate like the Bengals are the number one overall pick and pick a guy like Joe Burrow you know it it's it's Usually, how these things work out, and and that's the thing, Robert. I think we're all under the. I think we all think we're going to see both of these quarterbacks play this year. Oh yes, a hundred percent, absolutely. Yes. I don't. I mean, see I any think it's way. guaranteed. But it's yeah. it's one of those things. It's like think about you guys know this. Having a quarterback that is the the fulcrum of your franchise is a galvanizing, stabilizing factor for every single aspect of an NFL team. Just what patch? And, and I know this is a very extreme example. But what Patrick Mahomes gives the Chiefs just as this gravitational force changes everything. It changes the way the defensive players come to practice every day. It changes the mood that they're in. And not having that presence at the middle of everything, it really changes the entire way that the franchise operates and feels and all of this stuff. And I just, it's hard to imagine the defense being great if the quarterbacks are switching off every single game. And maybe that's just reading too much into it, but that I really do think it has an impact on every single corner of who you are as a team. Well, they have to be truly, truly great and exceptional to, to, to overcome that. Um, we know this story very well, though, in Chicago, whether it's Kyle Orton. <laughs> I read it every Rex year. Grossman. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah, There was hope last year at least at the beginning of last year, that you, you were past this, that Trubisky would take a step, and he took two backwards. Um, it just feels so Bears-like, right? Doesn't it? Like, to, to have this Normal? Now, yes, it feels normal, but yeah. yeah. But <laughs> It's like putting on a pair of sweatpants and sitting on the couch. It almost is comfortable for me at this point. It's so familiar. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. it's uh, Here the Bears are again. Uh Real quick, hey John, should we give uh, should we give Robert Mays his first uh, Manscaped read experience? Let's do right it. Now? I'm very excited. It's it, uh, it, it is quite an experience uh, to tell you the truth. But fantasy football draft season is upon us, and due to quarantine, it's very possible that you might have Zeke's haircut in your pants. <laughs> 
That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving the same way you like to gamble on football. When it comes to men's hygiene, Manscaped is as good and safe as Christian McCaffrey in a PPR league. Adam, we know we've tried that lawnmower 3.0. It's a great hygiene tool for the modern man. It's got that ceramic blade, the skin-safe technology. There's no nicks, no snags. It feels good. And I do need to uh, to uh, give you credit, Johns, for uh, not reading the part <laughs> where it very specifically says "do not read," and you directly asked me a very personal question last time. So I appreciate that, uh, and our listeners know which, what I'm talking. Just about. wanted to check in and make sure everything's all right. Everything's great because I use Manscaped. That's why. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and has an LED light on it, which is a game changer. They forever change the grooming game with the Perfect Package 3.0. And right now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code THEATHLETIC20. It's time to boost your hygiene with the absolute besties with Manscaped. That's probably the uh, cleanest one we've had. We, you know, we decided to be a little bit more mature. With I'm a Robert little Mays disappointed. I, w- I wish it would have been. A- I-, I-, I missed the good ones, apparently. The, the well, adolescence in us comes out sometimes uh, uh, when we do these. <laughs> How can Those I boxers are quite comfortable, though. I want to get your thoughts on the rest of the team too, and also how the bear. You think the Bears stack up in the NFC North? So I mean, Let's this is how it. most of our most of our podcasts go. It's uh, mostly about the quarterbacks, and then uh, we remember that there's you know 52 other guys. Or, I have extreme yeah. respect for you guys, by the way. Your your <laughs> ability to march through this and to keep on going. I, I would get beaten down. I know you guys don't care if they win or lose. But still, just the, the deluge of questions that you guys have to receive about this and just the constant battering. I, you're better men than I am. That, that, that's what I'll tell you right now. Even for humoring me for the last 25 minutes, you guys are better men than I am. So thank you. You just got to embrace it. You know, you just go all in with, with a meter graphic and tilt it one way or the next the other day. And just, I mean, you got to have fun with it. That's all you can do. Um, but anyway, the rest of this team, hey, they still have a really good defense. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. We, we, we addressed this on our show, and I'm curious what you guys think because the, what I posited to Nate Tyson when we were talking about the Bears is that, yeah, if you look at the personnel, uh, you can hope for a bounce back here. You know, more turnovers. You, know, you bring in Robert Quinn. You have some more juice in the pass rush. All this stuff. My question for you guys, do you think inherently – the way that this team plays under Chuck Pagano is a little bit less aggressive and a little bit the ceiling is depressed a little bit in the sense that there isn't there aren't as many turnovers or possibilities for turnovers. They don't really give their some, themselves a chance to make as many game-changing plays just because they're not playing as fast, the defense isn't as complex even though the players are good. Do you think there's any situation where this defense looks like the one in 2018 did? I, I want to say Yes, but also no, because I think Vic Fangio was just, let's say, more flexible with yeah. w- with his personnel and maybe tuning his, his his scheme and what he wanted to do on the field to, to what those players actually did well. Um, I, I think Chuck Pagano requires, like this is why Jalen Johnson is here, I believe. Like he, re- he requires a different set of cornerback, you know, at least guys that could play some press man. You know, maybe that's why Robert... Quinn is here. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you just saw a lot of four-man fronts and this whole 3-4 base is becomes more minimal than it was last year, right? They, they I kind of so like that, actually. Because yeah, I, yeah. I want Quinn to just put his hand on the ground and go. I don't want them messing around with him. I just think it's a waste. I, I'd exactly. much rather just have him be a pass rusher purely 100% of the time, hand on the ground, just get after it. Exactly. So that, that could – I don't think he's going to be a truly a situational player, but – you know, there's been hints and indications from from the coaches and, and from what we've seen on the field that that could be the case for or Robert Quinn and for a guy in his 30s or approaching 30. I forget his, his exact age, but that could work. You know, especially with Cleo Mack, you know, being kind of nonstop on the other end. You got a young rookie, Travis Gibson, waiting to learn. But yeah, I, I do think last year that some of 
the drop off and and they did finish in the top 10 in a lot of categories was just because they they lost Vic Fangio and they struggled to make up for what was going on, you know, on their offensive side of the ball. I think the biggest problem last year and, and why there weren't as many takeaways is I mean part of it was luck. They had so many the year before. Like you yeah. knew it was going to come Smath. down a little bit. But right. Yeah. But more importantly than that, the loss of Akeem Hicks was just enormous. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, so that was already going to affect Khalil Mack. But on top of that, Mack was not healthy. I mean, we still don't really know what exactly was going on with him last year, but he was not the same uh, monster that he was in 2018. So I think, and, and then you had Eddie Jackson. I don't think this had to do with Chuck Pagano as much as it just did their decision to go out and get ha-ha Clint Dix. He wasn't quite playing that same center fielder role. And that also took him out of his ball hawking ability. So I think there were just some factors like that that I would not necessarily put on Chuck Pagano. But I also do think Vic Fangio deserves the credit for like that versatility that was brought up. Like I was re- this Foles piece I put out today. I was rewatching the playoff game from two years ago, which must sound really painful to you, Robert. But um, I remember watching that game at a bar in Dallas because I was there for the Cowboys. Seahawks game and after he missed the kick I was just laying on the floor in a public space for like 10 minutes it was great oh, that sounds great clean. yeah, yeah uh, it was great I, it was just really <laughs> a lot of self-loathing happening in that moment anyway continue but do you remember like how there was a package for Sherrick McManus just to come out there and blitz yeah stuff like, like that yeah but, and not, I don't mean like out of a defensive back position like he was brought in as an outside linebacker to, to blitz like this was the kind of stuff that Vic Fangio did and a lot of times it was effective I'm watching the last drive of the playoff game and Sherrick did that on one of the plays and I'm like oh I totally forgot about that so there are some subtle differences um, between the, the the two schemes I think that one of the things that you have to have to be a great kind of transcendent defense is you have to have one two three players kind of come out of nowhere to give you something and I feel like Bryce Callahan was that in 2018. You know, we knew, they, we knew he'd started to be the nickel guy, but he played so much better than I think anyone could have imagined. And I'm struggling to figure out who those kind of surprise contributors are going to be on this defense. Who's going to come out of nowhere to make two, three big plays every single game? From what you guys have watched, are there any guys that maybe I'm not thinking about they are going to be able to have an impact on this defense that maybe people on the outside are overlooking? Well, you're probably looking at guys like Bilal Nichols, Roy Robertson mm-hmm. Harris, but guys, you've seen a lot from and Robertson Harris more... is a good player. I like him, so yeah, yeah that makes yeah. sense. And he's a contract year. He's just a unique defensive lineman too, but just because how, how he's what six foot six, two hundred ninety. So pounds. long, yeah, yeah, so long. Like he's just built differently too. Um, he's going to play more. Bilal Nichols is going to play more, especially with maybe Hicks limited and Eddie Goldman is not involved because he opted out. Um, I'm still waiting to see a lot more from Jalen Johnson, but that's a fifth. 50th overall pick like you should expect high things from him um to me I keep going back to like a guy like Roquan Smith I know he's like a like being a top 10 pick like I just expected so much more from an on the field on the field sense and, and really just you know off the field like this is a guy that was sold to us as their next great linebacker and, and with that comes a certain degree of intangibles right like Brian Urlacher had him. Lance Briggs had them. Dick Buckus had it. Mike Singletary and all those guys in the 80s had it. Like, where is that going to come about with Roquan Smith? And maybe that's just it. Like, maybe that's him taking that next step, whatever his career is, is going to be, because I think we're all sitting here waiting for that to happen, for him to become, you know, that next great linebacker, and we just haven't seen that consistently enough. When you look at great defenses and sustaining great defenses, defense is so random and volatile. It's very hard to be great season in and season out because it requires so many bounces of the ball and so much luck. But when you think about Seattle and kind of the run they went on from like 2012 through 2014, what really kept them near the top of the league is that the best player on that defense or the best two or three would vacillate. It was Richard Sherman at the beginning. Then it was probably Earl Thomas. Then you had a year where Michael Bennett was probably that guy. Then you had a year where Bobby Wagner was the best defensive player in the league, arguably, outside of Aaron Donald. And that's the thing with Roquan Smith. Even if he's a known quantity, I think they have to have some of that vacillation within that defense of guys incrementally getting better in order to sustain that greatness. And we just haven't seen that. You know, you're kind of counting on Eddie Jackson and Khalil Mack because we're not sure if some of those guys can maintain that level of play. Kyle Fuller 
Fuller is another example. So it just, that's my question. Can we have just tiny incremental improvements from even some of those known quantities to keep them up there? And I don't know the answer to that. So let me give you uh, one obvious worrisome thing and then a bunch of positive things on the Bears defense. Reasons why I think they will be better this year. So the first thing is just like this Akeem Hicks thing is concerning. Like we haven't seen him in, it's almost been two weeks now. Um, Jesus. And he's just way too important. And he's at that age where, like, he may come back and be fine. Like, maybe they're just protecting him and they're making sure he's ready to go for week one because he's so important. That's possible. He's also at that age, and we see this all the time with NFL players, no matter how good they are. Sometimes the fall is quick. You know, you just have so many injuries, and your body slows down, and it happens in an instant, especially linemen on either side of the football. It It happens. I hope that's not the case for Akeem Hicks because uh, he's such a good player and I don't think he gets enough credit, quite frankly, nationally either. But I think that is something that at least needs to be discussed here as the season starts. Now, if Hicks is fine, I think there's a bunch of signs that, like, I think Kyle Fuller is going to be better this year. Kyle was, he gave up a lot of yards last year. He didn't pick off the football as much. Part of that's a style of play. He has looked great in camp. And I think that he's going to play better. I think he's going to pick off more footballs. I think Eddie Jackson's going to be back in that spot we saw him in 2018. He's going to get his hands on more footballs. And then Roquan Smith. I just think Roquan Smith's too good that as he matures, like sometimes we forget these guys are really, really young and they're just young, like essentially new adults that need to mature in their 20s like we all have uh, throughout life. And I think that that's just Except naturally when doing manscape reads. Yeah, it, right. There are some exceptions that will never change. Sorry. But I feel like I had one more. Oh, I think Bilal Nichols. Bilal Nichols has a chance to be that guy that gets a huge extension next year before the season starts. Like he has he has that chance to put together that type of season where he gets a huge payday. And maybe if Hicks really starts going through you know what sometimes happens in your 30s uh, as an NFL lineman, the Bears will be fine. But that that is a concerning thing. I think that, and I, I'm sure my tone sounds so dour, and I don't mean that, especially about the defense. They're going to be good. You know, they're going to be probably very good. But the yep. difference between being the sixth best defense in the NFL and the first best defense of the NFL, that, sca- that chasm really matters if the offense doesn't hold up its end of the bargain. And that's my biggest question. If they settle somewhere outside of the top five and the offense is still in the bottom third of the league, then we're going to see similar results to what we saw last year. It's going to be a six and 10, seven and nine team that, and they were lucky to be eight and eight last year. It's going to be a six and 10, seven and nine team. And and we're kind of sitting here wondering, and I be even beyond the quarterback. I have questions about the offense. I mean, you consider all the moving parts on the staff in order to try to extract a little bit more from those in-house pieces that they have because it hasn't happened. The player development on the offensive side of the ball, even independent of the quarterback, has been extremely troubling. And unless that corrects this year, then I don't see them being good even if the quarterback situation is a little bit better. I think one position where I can safely say that everybody feels different about on the offensive side of the ball is tight end. And... I know there's questions about Jimmy Graham. I don't think he could be a Pro Bowl. I don't think Pro Bowl numbers are coming his way. But he is better than Trey Burton. He could do things that Trey Burton at his best cannot do. Like he's just more imposing. And to see him celebrate and to see him take on, like it reached a point in camp, Robert, where Eddie Jackson had enough. Like Jimmy Graham was embarrassing. <laughs> like, all the defensive backs were Eddie Jackson. That sounds Col- great. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Like, 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 and that was great to see. The, the Bears absolutely love that. Where okay, Eddie Jackson's like, I want you. Let's go. And Eddie Jackson actually won it. Like, but that's what you want to see. But then Cole Komet comes about. Like in the next snap, Eddie Jackson can't take that one. And there's Cole Komet going up over Deion Bush, and then later Kyle Fuller, you know, and making those jump ball touchdowns. And then you, you you saw them make a lot of receptions. You know, over the middle of the field. You know, they always seem to have a step on guys, whether that's a linebacker or safety, where you can actually see, oh, like, these new tight ends, they can have an impact regardless of who's at quarterback. Um, it could help the run game. It could help the offensive line, which there's a lot of question marks about them right now. But, like, 
I don't want to over, you know, blow what uh, a tight end change can mean to, to, to this offense, but we know what it means in Matt Nagy's offense. And you could see, like, if, if there's any sign of hope on that offense, it's that these tight ends are going to bring something different, something better that wasn't here before last year or even in 2018. They're just that bigger, that much bigger, that much more dynamic, and that much more threatening to defenders to the point where Eddie Jackson, guys who are or, who are all pros, who've had enough of it and they want to, to answer it on the football field. I have a hard time getting behind Cole Komet because he scorned the Barrington football program and decided to go to Viator, which is a huge <laughs> mistake on his part as, as a proud Barrington High School alum. But I, I completely understand what you're saying. And, you know, every year when I'm trying to think about teams and their ceiling on offense, I try to picture how they're going to get certain types of gains. You know, how are you going to move the ball? And when you think about the best version of this Bears offense, if you have Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet on the field at the same time, you know, Cole Komet's in line as a Y, Graham's removed tight end, Miller and Robinson on the outside, David Montgomery, slight improvement from the offensive line. You can see that group being pretty good. I think they don't have a ton of downfield. You know, it's not nobody's a burner in that group. You know, I think that Allen Robinson's a good vertical threat, but he's not a top off the guy defense. But in the middle of the field, if we're talking you know, really trying to, you know, RPO game, everything else. I like that group a lot. I'm just not sure, you know, at, at its best what it looks like. How good could Jimmy Graham be? Is David Montgomery healthy? In a perfect world, I think it actually works out really well with Nick Foles. I'm just a little bit hesitant about that perfect world kind of unfolding the way we want it to, especially with Montgomery out right now. Robert, let me give you one little piece of insight, and maybe you can use this on the football show. Don't forget about Darnell Mooney. Fifth round oh, pick. He is very important. He, he, by my count, received more targets in the practices that were open to us than any other player on That's the awesome. team. That's awesome. Which I found incredibly interesting. So um, that in terms of a speed guy, that's that's somebody to keep in mind. Uh, well, hey, we know that you have 31 other teams you need to uh, be working <laughs> on. But I, I do want to get your thoughts on where you think the Bears stack up in the NFC North, which I find to be a fascinating division this year I think I, I'm not I, the Vikings have had an incredible offseason in my mind they've somehow like gone into rebuild mode and emerged almost out of it in the same offseason which is insane uh, I'm not sure they're quite there I don't necessarily think they're a Super Bowl contender but I do think that they need to be taken very seriously in this division the Packers I think are set for regression and I've been very vocal about that um, but they're still going to be okay. Like they're not going to, they're not going to be awful. I don't think. And the lions are, we always say on this podcast, the lions are the lions, but I think they're going to be more like the eight and eight lions and not the three and 13 lions, which is a problem. So to me, this division's wide open. I feel like any of the four teams could win it. And you cannot say that about many divisions. I mean, there you go through all these divisions like I have been. You, know, you can write two of the teams off. Even a perfect world, the Giants and the Jets and teams like that probably aren't winning their division. You could absolutely build a case for the Lions going ten and six or eleven and five. You know, when Matt Stafford was healthy last year, this was one of the most efficient passing offenses in the entire league. You know, them adopting that kind of more aggressive downfield approach with Galladay and with Marvin Jones in a Daryl Bevel's offense, I think fits Stafford's skill set extremely well. You know, so this is a team that finishes somewhere in the top 10 in passing DVOA. Their defense takes a step up. You know, Maybe Joe Fakuda hits the ground running. They signed all those expatriates guys. Maybe they blitz a little bit more. You know, even by virtue of luck, your defense can end up being league average. If that happens, this is a team that absolutely could win double-digit games. Minnesota, I completely agree with you. I, I mean, what they have done uh, this offseason is so incredibly impressive. You know, you have... You trade Stephon Diggs, use that pick to go get Justin Jefferson. Different types of players, but hopefully somebody that's going to give you something. You know, the defense, by all accounts, Cameron Dantzler, you know, who they picked after they picked Jeff Gladney in the draft, has been really good for them. I think they're going to have the bodies and the staff to figure it out in the secondary. Getting Ngakwe, you know, adding him on the other side, it's really the last piece that they needed on that defense to truly be a really good unit. And on the offense, I have so much faith in Gary Kubiak. I just think he's a truly special offensive mind. He had a ton of input there last year, even though Kevin Stefanski was there. You know, typically when we see this, when you have a young hotshot offensive coordinator on a team, you have a great year. I mean, if you look at the efficiency numbers for Kirk Cousins in the passing offense last year, they were really good. I think they were in the top 10. You, that guy leaves and it's like, oh man, what do we do now? You know, the Kyle Shanahan leaving Atlanta sort of thing. But with having Gary Kubiak waiting in the wings, I think they're going to 
transition transition be smooth. They'll be really good again. And then when you think about Green Bay, I agree with the regression. But even if they regress, and this is a 13-3 and team last year. They have a ton of talent on defense. I think that Rodgers is still a very good quarterback, even if he's not the guy he used to be. So it's not hard to build the case for all these teams. And that's just such a weird position to be in as a division. You have faith in Gary Kubiak. But do you have faith in my guy, Kirk Cousins, who apparently is okay if he dies? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There was more to that quote than, than went viral. I Kirk Cousins. I'm not sure the more to that quote though was any better. (laughs) There was more to it, but I'm not sure it was any better. Kirk Cousins is one of those people where it's he's hard. Every day he becomes harder to defend. I consider (laughs) myself a Kirk Cousins booster just because I think he's underrated. You you drop him into a good offense. I mean, we saw what happens last year. You can really get some good quarterback play out of that guy. And his failings in public, both from a PR standpoint and from a football standpoint, in very bright moments, he tends to wilt. And that includes interviews. And that includes him trying to grill things on Instagram. Like if Kirk Cousins didn't have a public persona or profile in any way, I think he'd probably be better off. You like that, right? I get you. I I understand. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. It's just. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Kirk Cousins is a disturbingly uncool person. (laughs) <laughs> and as as someone who also fits that bill, I, I have some, you know, I feel for him. There's some empathy there. But at a certain point, it's just like, Kirk, shut it down, man. Like, I don't know who thought it would be a good idea for you to talk to Kyle Brandt for an hour, but that person probably shouldn't be doing this. It was such a random thing that I feel like Kyle Brandt somehow knew where that was going. He, Kyle Brandt is a very charismatic man who is also from the Northwest suburbs. So, you know, we are yep. we, we are legion. We have to stick together. And I am not surprised that he's been able to extract some really fun conversations out of people. But sometimes when you're an athlete, that doesn't bode well for you. Yeah, you have to be right. wary of the dude, the cool dude who's going to ask you questions that you want to answer. Well, Kyle's got to be careful because now I think he's gotten like Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins and like a, at least a little bit of controversy from that podcast. So um, here's the move, though. He's recorded them all in advance. So yeah. it's not as if he's having to book guests all the time. These oh, have already been done. So it's going to take a while before the new batch of guests knows they're going to get burned. And hopefully by the time he's booking them, we've already forgotten about this. Well, hopefully there's like a Mitch Trubisky one in the can. Oh, oh God. I, I don't even know if I'd <laughs> want to watch that. <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, thanks so much for your time, man. We always love talking to you. It's always good having you on this podcast. And it's great that... Uh, Hey, both of these podcasts, part of The Athletic now. I'm excited to be doing it. We're having such a good time. And uh, as always, I'll be listening to you guys. I'll be reading you guys, probably with one eye open, you know, just because I don't, I'm peering through my fingers as I look at the meter. But it's something I have to indulge with or have to engage with. I, I don't really have a choice. You like at this pain. Point. It's okay. You like pain. I know. And, and listen, man, all Bears, all Bears fans are masochists. If, if you are not at this point, if you don't love pain, you should probably be rooting for a different team. Well, I was thinking about the meter, and like I guess when a starter's named, it's got to go all the way to one side. But I feel like you, even in that situation, so. it really shouldn't. You think so, yeah. <laughs> Keep it typically, in the middle. Typically, that's the logic that would rule here. But in this case, yeah. I'm not sure that it does. You just a little bit further to one side. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, well, uh, we do want to give you a quick preview of the Athletics Football Show podcast. So here's a little bit more of that from Robert Mays. This is the Athletics Football Show. I think every football season is a big challenge in one way or another. Introducing the Athletic Football Show, an all-new podcast with me, Robert Mays, and a team of world-class NFL writers and analysts. We'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league. What Patrick Mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd. You can subscribe now to the Athletic Football Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And stay with us all season long as the Athletic brings you what matters most in today's NFL. So there he is, Robert Mays, and uh, I... Jazzy, I checked out the NFC North preview episode. It's good. Uh, I got to listen to the rest of it. Um, And uh, they're breaking down everything. So what a great way, first of all, just to get ready for the season. But 31 NFL uh, fan bases should be listening to that podcast, but especially Bears fans uh, and our listeners because, as you hear, Robert May is very passionate about the Chicago Bears and the uh, Mitchell Trubisky's of the world. Yeah, yep, I'm looking forward to adding him to the podcast collection on the old phone. Um, there's always going to be a lot of Bears talk in, in his podcast 
as well as for, for the reasons that Adam just said. But it, he'll use the full power of the athletic. All our writers are national folks and uh, all the beat guys a, as well. So really happy to have Robert part of the team. And if you're not already subscribed, you should be. Theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns is where you go. You can get 40% off. Perfect timing. If you haven't pulled the trigger on the subscription yet, do it now with the season beginning. Uh, you get all of Adam Johns' great coverage and the Fish Dad as well. The Fish Dad. The Fish Dad. Um, who's been sending me some photos me of too. young Nathan. And uh, it's it's good. So congratulations to Kevin Fishbane. If you get a chance, check him out on Twitter at KFishbane. Send him a little note on uh, going from the Fish Man to the Fish Dad. Congrats, it's, it's a bit. It's a big moment. <laughs> Just don't have 70 kids like Adam Johns. Oh. That's my only advice. 70 minus 67, three. Still too many. Still uh, <laughs> follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, J-A-H-N-S. And I sort of mentioned it earlier, but I have a couple big deep dives on the Bears quarterbacks this week at NBCSportsChicago.com. The one on Nick Foles is up now. Uh, if you're listening to this later in the week, by Thursday, the Mitchell Trubisky piece is up, and there's some X's and O's. There's some... Larger context, as you heard in our conversation with Robert Mays, it's uh, there's a lot more that goes into this than probably the 11 legitimate practices that have been held in training camp to try to decide a winner, and uh, that's really uh, what the deep dive on these two guys is all about. So and check that out, NBCSportsChicago.com. And I got my 53-man roster projection up on The Athletic right now. You know what's going to change, and guess what, Adam? Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles both made my team, but a lot of other decisions elsewhere for you guys to, to have at debate and not like. I mean, that would have been surprising that you just caught one of them. Tyler Bray, all day. Did you keep him? He's on the practice squad. Again. For the 1,000th year in a row. Yes. They should just call it the, the Bray squad. I think they're changing the CBA like constantly just for him <laughs> so he can continually <laughs> be on the practice squad forever. Yes. I think I think Again, that's it's the, the Bray Squad. The Bray Squad. I like it. I like it. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will be back, I guess, early next week. And I have a feeling there will be a quarterback named for the Lions game at that point. So we will react to it and uh, get you everything you need to know as we dive into a game week. That feels good to say. Oh, it does feel good. Bears and Lions next week. We'll talk to you then. Kirk Cousins is a disturbingly uncool person.